Coming to you from helping our music evolve in Nashville, this is the Quinn Spin. Hey now, and welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, to a brand new edition of the Quinn Spin. I'm your host, the Quinn. I am back here on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, and more for another rousing and riveting installment of the official podcast. Of Underground Music Collective, you heard Revel 9's All I've Become, our opening theme song, now and until the end of time. I am joined today on the show by Wesley David out in California. His new album, Never Late Than Better, out now. And if you want something raw, authentic, and the true spirit of rock and roll, this album is for you. And this conversation is for you as well. We go deep, not only into the music, but on the state of social media, how it affects us. We even talk a little bit of baseball here. He's a Mets fan. I'm a Cubs fan. So our team's past have uh, crossed quite a bit in the past. And that just scratches the surface. This is a great episode. I really enjoy talking to Wesley and you're about to enjoy listening to this conversation right now. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all. As I just explained to you in the intro, I am joined here today on The Quinspin by Wesley David, who has such an interesting story. So I'm really excited to dive into that and how it's led him all the way up here to the new album, Never Late Than Better, which was released in September. And just so much to talk about. So Wesley, first of all, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I, I have to preface this. I okay. ask every guest three standard questions to begin the show, except for the first time ever, it's a different second question. It used to be, who are you? What do you do? Why on earth would you want to come on the Quinn Spin? But I've changed the second one. It is now, and you can answer these however you'd like, in as much or as little detail. Who are you? What are you passionate about? And why on earth would you want to come on the Quinn Spin? Uh, the answer to all of those questions is I don't know. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, thank you for having me. I the I'm let me I'm gonna answer them in the order that my brain caught them. Um, I'm passionate about I'm passionate about the things that I have not been able to do this year during COVID or done gradually. So I'm passionate about being outdoors more often, being with people, um, being with friends and family. I just played basketball today. I'm, I'm aging rapidly, but I'm passionate about playing basketball and sports and communal activities. Um, I am not as passionate about the tech world that we find ourselves in, but I am learning to, learning to adjust and get into it slowly but surely. Uh, who am I? It's also a good question. I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm a piano bar entertainer. I have worked as a uh, piano bar touring musician for years. I live in LA. I live in Long Beach. Um, and what was the third question? I apologize. <laughs> Why on earth would you want to come on this show of all shows? Well, desperation is uh, is a difficult difficult master. Of course, that's 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 most people. Yeah, desperation is most of my most of my impetus in life. You know, why do I date? Desperation. Watch the show. Desperation. No, um, I love stuff like this. I love underground music. Um, I love discovering new bands. Um, I went through the website. I enjoyed even today listening to a couple of the bands you guys review. So I think this is. This is where it's at. This is something uh, sorely missing. It's almost like you only have, you know, Pitchfork and Rolling Stone, which are which are wonderful, um, and then you don't have much except for Instagram. So the the importance of the intermediary, what you guys do in terms of giving artists who are trying to put their music out there um, a voice, is amazing, and it's not you know beholden to 
frankly, somebody's social media following. So it's great. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I kind of view it as like a farm system. Give people that first yeah. piece of content before they get up to that level. As they yeah. Way up to the like a base, baseball. I like, I like it. I like the baseball yeah. analogy. Yeah. A ball for now, but eventually I want to get up to like double A, triple A, you know, but yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, even Tim Tebow made it to there. So yeah. Tebow. Yeah. yeah he's still yeah. in that farm system, I think. Yeah. He is. Yeah. So I'm from New Jersey. We're, we're Mets fans. So we're in New Jersey. I am from a small town called uh, Holland Township, which is in Milford, New Jersey, which is near Clinton, New Jersey. No one knows where it's in central, central New Jersey. Basically, I grew up in Long Valley. Oh, dude, you're from New Jersey? Yes. Yes. I grew up 20. How did I not know this? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where right. the show started. Well, the awesome. show started in college and then I started it in this like current era in New Jersey when I was still living at home. Really? And, yeah. I'm from Long Valley. Uh, born and uh, raised there. Amazing. So what, what was your close? We're going to bore your audience, but what was your closest mall? Was it Bridgewater? Was it Phillipsburg? Was it Flemington? We always went to Rockaway. Rockaway. For some yeah. reason, like I think Bridgewater was like the same distance, but we always went to Rockaway. Bridgewater had that killer movie. I saw Jurassic Park when I was just about 10. Blew my mind. Bridgewater, the movie theater was really good at the mall, which is now mm-hmm. defunct because of COVID. But still. We, we also had a couple smaller malls too. Uh, Ledgewood and Hackettstown malls. Those I don't know. no longer exist. I don't know those at all, but I'm very excited you're from New Jersey. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. I, had, I had no idea you were from New Jersey either. Yeah, so, yeah. born born and raised yeah look, look at that we're learning stuff already here on the we group. both we both survived so <laughs> we did we did and that that, that takes that takes some moxie let me tell you so, yeah <laughs> to get out of jersey alive what's about you but yeah. <laughs> so with that it's a good jumping off point you know we like to go you know back as far as you want to go from the beginning to talk about some of your formative experiences and you had some very interested, interesting formative experiences uh, as you've termed it, the wacky doomsday Bible cult of your youth of your, yeah. upbringing. Um, oh, yeah. you know, and that of course being juxtaposed by you discovering music and pursuing music. And so I want to give you the chance to go into detail there and talk about growing up in that environment and the escape that music songwriting has provided you over the years it's almost tough to know where to start um so we were we were jehovah's witnesses Mm -hmm. um which you know a lot of people are familiar with um somewhat similar to maybe the mormons or scientologists um it's a it's actually a huge organization even though the membership is maybe five million worldwide Mm -hmm. so it's not not a lot of people uh but it's the reach of the organization is is pretty far um yeah and a lot of my time was spent um, like you do being a missionary. <laughs> um, so going door to door with the Bible and with, uh, the watchtower, which is their propaganda magazine. Um, and you take said propaganda and you try to convert people. And even as a kid, um, that's what you do. That's what you're taught to do. You're taught that you are saving other people's lives. So you're an evangelical, um, you know, we're conservative, but Jehovah's witnesses are even unique. As far as that goes, they don't celebrate holidays. They don't vote Um, I have friends who are in and out of the organization now, some of whom are voting for the first time on Tuesday because you don't vote. You're not allowed to vote. Right. right. Also, so it's like similar to hardcore evangelical Christianity in some ways, but also very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, a lot of my life was dominated by, um, you know, being a church or being like local missionary work with my family and friends and the formative experiences with music. Um, were 
somewhat related to that, somewhat related to meeting um, a couple of friends who I made when I was 12, um, who I'm still good friends with, um, who uh, the one in particular introduced me to like classic rock. My, my dad did also. Um, but, you know, I got into, you know, everything from like the Who to prog rock to the Beatles and stuff with my friend. And then we formed a band before I could play an instrument. He was a good guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned how to play drums and drums were my first instrument. Um, but I started writing songs also. I, I was playing drums and writing songs and singing and just j- jack of all whatever I felt like doing when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I went from there. I learned guitar. Eventually, later on, I learned I learned piano and I took it more seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, music was, you know, music, it, at first it was video games. It continued to be video games through my teenage years. Uh, as I was also sheltered a lot. But yeah, then it was music. It was playing guitar. It was getting good at it. It was writing songs. And it was um, finding some kind of escape from the... So it's weird. And I don't, I don't know if this is boring to the audience or how many who listen, listen here. Maybe we're evangelical or conservative Christian or just what, what have you. But, um, you know, you on the one hand, you believe it. So right. it's it's everything you believe. It's everything you're taught. You don't really know anything different. Even as you go to public school, you know, you, you might be learning about evolution or science, but you are also rejecting it. Mm-hmm. So it's at the most lip service. So it's your whole world. And, you know, on the one hand, it's drudgery because in a really hardcore Christian uh, faith like this, a lot of time, it's so boring. There's so much time spent. And um, it's like, it's, it's almost paradoxical, like hopeless and hopeful. Like you're, you're waiting for the end of the world. You believe you're taught to believe the end of the world is coming any day now. Um, but you almost don't want it. Like I almost didn't want it. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to go play. I wanted to go be a normal kid. Um, so and well into my 30s, I'm, I'm not a normal kid now, but I, I am, you know, living, living my best life now because I wasn't able to then. I went to college late and I, it's the theme of the album. It's never late than better. It's better, it's better late than never to go be who you want to be and, and, and live and live what, what you feel is your best life. Agreed. 100%. I mean, you know, I'm in my thirties as well. You know, I just, I mean, different upbringing, but I just moved to Nashville a couple of years ago and like, yeah, Nashville. You know, it's just been the past couple of years where it's like, all right, you know, you, I find your thirties are, you know, for a lot of people where you actually start to come into your own, you know, and start to shed some of those old ideals, whatever they were. I I'm curious, was there a particular moment for you growing up or, you know, even in your adult life where you decided like, okay, like this, that I was brought up to believe is not for me. Yeah, it was, I was about 19. Um, So, you know, it's early two thousands. And uh, again, possibly boring to your audience, but the the dawn the dawn of the internet, MySpace, AOL chat, American Online, the the early days, the fun days of the internet, um, you know, also brought along forums and chat forums and right. discovering, you know, we can talk about social media perhaps later, but you know, not just sharing an emoji, but sharing you know information, and like that was the idea of it. So I stumbled onto these. Um, chat forums and I started reading and, uh, you know, debating with scholars and learning about the Bible and learning to read Greek and anyway, all this, all this kind of stuff with the Bible and learning what I did and eventually stumbling on a couple of authors uh, who were, were critical of the organization uh, was what led me on the path out of the organization. So it, it was one step at a time, but I mean, it was because of the internet. It was because of getting more freedom to use the internet um, and, uh, I think I was, I think I was unhappy 
you know, other than playing music, um, you know, I started this, I, I fear I might be rambling, but after 16, I halfway failed out of my sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not because I wasn't smart, I'm pretty smart, but I, I was, I was bored and I was alienated and I was just having emotional issues. So I pressured my parents basically to let me homeschool, which a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses do anyway. Right. Um, a lot of, a lot of tight knit, it's become more of a thing, but tight knit uh, Christian faiths often homeschool mm-hmm. their kids. Right. Um, my sister did some homeschooling. So I managed to get out of school. And um, anyway, the long story short is that once, once I had done that, I started on, um, you know, more time in the internet and it was just, it almost just like coincided with um, some of these forums and chat forums and getting introduced to the information, which eventually led me to, to be critical of the organization and learn about it, learn about its secret history and its past and, just kind of go go down the rabbit hole of of what was wrong with it and um, why why it mattered. So now now deviating from your upbringing, I mean, did that cause any friction, you know, with with your family, and how has that relationship evolved, you know, as you've gone on here? They they all they they actually all left. They they left um, basically at the same time. It was it was it was me first, mm-hmm. and it was talking to my sister, um, and then it was talking to some of our friends. And then I was talking to my parents and it was my dad. And then it was eventually my mom. But amazingly, um, at that point, uh, this is, it's such a long story, but like at that point we were not, not going to church as, as regularly. And right. it, we were almost in a position where my mom was going through some stuff and I could speak to her about this and, you know, introduce the information. And it was, a, it was a tough sell, but they, and, and they still, you know, they still have some of their, some of their beliefs are still kind of just pretty similar to JW beliefs, but they all left the organization because they read ultimately the same things I did or parts of them. And, you know, they came to the same conclusions that um, there's just too much that's problematic and wrong and offensive about the organization. More, it's more about the organization, I say, than the the beliefs are, you know, if you, if you, you believe what you believe, you believe in Jesus or you don't you know, that's like a personal thing, but the, the watchtower society, which is the, the ownership of Jehovah's witnesses, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a frightening history to, to really learn about what's, what's wrong with it and the child molestation. And it's, it's like, it's, it's like straight out of a fucked up movie. So, yeah, I mean, we had a, I mean, I was born and raised Catholic. My mom was actually a, um, she was in a convent when she was a teenager. She was going really nun, yeah. And she she left when she was sixteen, you know, because she wanted to have kids, and you know, she was graced with the gift of me and my brother and sister. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but like you know, she she passed a few years ago. But like as she got older, like I noticed she was less strict about certain things. Like at one point, she even asked me if I was going to move in with my girlfriend. I'm like what <laughs> like, like yeah. that's like taboo in catholicism before marriage she's like well i mean you're both in mountains of debt like i, I don't like it but oh I mean, it was just practical she was she was just saying it for practical reasons yeah like, yeah but yeah. like even even so like you know she started to want to volunteer at like other churches that weren't catholic which is another thing yeah and she's like yeah they're nice down there i want to help like you know right. it's, it's interesting how like time will like kind of change people's perspectives on things and sure. just people like change their relationships with how they were brought up i mean yeah they still hold on to certain things sure yeah but you know as time goes on and more information becomes available you're able to 
I think make your own decisions, you know, and go, you know, interpret it the way you want to interpret it. Yeah. 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 I know. I think that's, I think that's to the credit of some kind of more mainstream churches, even the Catholic church that, uh, well, in parts of the world, at least, like probably probably here, that they've they've come a long way since you know more strict teachings. Um, you know, could, we could probably spend a long time talking about that. But yeah, I mean, that's to your mom's credit, and it's to um, the credit of I think some churches which have become more liberal and probably put a more of an important emphasis on faith, which is probably where it always should have been. It's more just about your personal faith and. You know, it's less about, um, are you gay or are you transgender or who are you sleeping with or right. blah, are you smoking a cigarette? Blah, blah, blah. There's so many things that Christian churches have criminalized um, and which cults do criminalize like Jehovah's Witnesses. But um, it's not it's certainly not all religion, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's interesting too. I saw a friend of mine shared an article about cancel culture and how it actually started yeah. within churches, you really? know, with like, yeah, with criminalizing and demonizing like certain behaviors or certain sexual orientations or, right. you know, and, you know, now I think a lot of people who are in the ultra conservative churches are upset with cancel culture being a thing, but this article was stating how like, well, it actually started there. So you kind of brought it on society and it's coming back around. Right. Right. I think, I think, I think that catches up to any, but like, you know, the judgment of behaviors and, and, you know, the, the, like, I guess, anti live freely mindset that folks have, it does come back around, (laughs) you know, it does. Eventually, you know, we're all, you know, we're all living beings and we all, we all have this thing called free will, right? Yeah. That's going to come out, however it comes out in our lives. And, yeah. you know, there's going to have to be some kind of reckoning with, you know, what we've been taught at some point. If we were raised yeah. in the background, you know, there is going to be at least a period of questioning that we go through, you know. Sure. Oh, yeah. Our determinations about the world. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, cancel. you brought up cancel culture. Um, I don't know if, if we both want to get ourselves in, in trouble on Twitter or not, but <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that I would just say that that speaks to, uh, you know, even in academia that I think um, we are at an unsustainable point, probably amplified by how messed up of a year this has been with COVID but, and, and, and Trump and the elections, but um, yeah, we're going to have to relearn almost some kind of um, like tolerance for other people's beliefs and yes. belief systems, even, even whether it's about religion or about gender or ideas about gender or what, what have you. Um, I don't, I don't even know. It's weird because I don't know if this is such a controversial thing to say. I think to some younger folks it is, but I don't see it that way. I see it as that we're going to have to find a way to just like tolerate that people have very different beliefs. Now, I don't mean, I, of course, I don't mean like, well, I believe that black people shouldn't have the right to vote. That's not, that's not a, a thing you would tolerate. But, right, right, right. You know, but certainly there, <laughs> there, we're just in a, an age where there are all kinds of ideas about gender, sexual orientation, there are just so many ideas that can't we, is, is it, is it wrong to think we could find a way to understand, live, 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 yeah, even, even yeah. when you just, dis- you may passionately disagree with somebody, right, but um, at some level to just fucking live and let live also. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I'm all, I'm all for, I'm I'm 100% on that train. You know, we need to find under I think the understanding is lost and it, you know, it, it continues to be missing from our society and things are yeah. so polarized and they yeah. continue to be polarized by the media. They yeah. continue to mm-hmm. be polarized by social media. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the social dilemma yet. Oh, oh yes, I oh yes I have. <laughs> but um 
you, you know, yeah, and it's engineered to like draw these sides and create all this vitriolic engagement for the sake of advertising dollars. It's a mess, yeah. you know, whereas like right it, here, uh, can you see this? Can your, can the audience at home see this or, or listen and to this? arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now by Jaron J- Lanier. J- Jerome Lanier. Yeah. He was in the, he was in the social dilemma. Yeah. He's, he's pretty awesome. But um, yeah, I, I have, I haven't done it, but um, it's, it's worth, it's the, the concepts are worth thinking about. Like what's our, what's our relationship to social media and how, how do we use it? You know, right. what, what are we getting out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And what are we putting out there too? I think is important. Yeah. You know, like uh-huh. what kind of yeah. messages are we sending to the world? What kind of ideas are we putting out in the world? You know, yeah. for me, it's a catch 22. Cause like, I definitely am acutely aware of the negative impacts, the negative aspects of it. However, I'm building an online platform. Yeah. <laughs> so I need it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's a focus, especially for those of us in the creative space who let's be real, need these tools in the 21st century to have any sure. kind of career, yeah. like to be very mindful about what we're putting out there, the types of content that we're consuming as well. Right. You know, it's a two-way street, you know, right. as far as what we're consuming, the types of ideas that, you know, are helping us to maintain our mindsets and to keep moving forward and putting our positive message out there, you know, that we, you know, having the impact that we want to have in the world, you know, so it's, it's catch 22 for us right now. Yeah, no, no, it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I wouldn't, if, if you were interested, I wouldn't mind getting into this at at some length, doesn't be right now, but yeah, I think social media, um, uh, there's, there's a lot about it as, as far as it relates to musicians and bands and artists and creators. Um, it's almost like if you want a seat at the table, you have to be on social media at some level. You don't have to do every platform necessarily. Right. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually boycotting Facebook at least right now, probably for a long time, but, um, you know, I've used Facebook a lot like everybody else. Um, but I decided to not use Facebook for this whole thing and this campaign, um, I'm I'm not the only one, but I mean, they, listen. When there are celebrities, when Kim Kardashian is, you know, putting it on her Instagram, like "Stop Hate for Profit." When Starbucks, when, pardon me, when fucking corporations like Starbucks are pulling their advertising from Facebook, shouldn't bands and artists and creators think about what they're doing on that platform? If Starbucks can do it, shouldn't you think about it? Um, I mean, like. I, this used to be, I don't know if I'm going off a tangent, this used to be a space where rappers, rock people, musicians of all genres, we used to have a subversive space to say no, to say, no, I'm not going to I'm not gonna go along with this thing. I think that thing might be Facebook right now. It might also be Google to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this is some serious shit. We're seeing a rise in suicides. We're seeing, um, we're, we're, Trump is, and I, I don't want to, assume anybody's politics, but, you know, Trump is president because of Facebook, because of Russian interference. And just, just let that sink in. He is literally president in at least in large part because of Facebook. Mm-hmm. This is a fucked up platform. Yeah. I've, I've always viewed that time of him rising to prominence as a candidate as if people didn't give him the attention, he would have fizzled out like every other time. Yeah president he's been running for president for a long time yeah but in 2015 yeah. 2016 it became the hot thing in the news it became the hot thing in the algorithms on social yeah. media particularly facebook and twitter right, right. and the right. more people talk about him the more trump you got you know if you know this was 1996 in 20 you know if it was the same like level of technology and the same you know ways it was used in 1996 john Kasich would probably be our president right now you know yeah. what i mean but because he seemed nice enough yeah. 
reasonable guy, you know, I mean, you might not agree with everything he says. I mean, I don't really, but you know, the fact is like, he wouldn't have been, in my opinion, the absolute dumpster fire that this. Yeah. No, no. He would have been middle of the road Republican ish. Yeah. 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 But but I feel like to your point, like the attention and then there's, if there's one thing Donald Trump has always known how to do, it's keep the attention on himself. He doesn't care if it's good. He doesn't. Oh yeah. Bad. So like all of this algorithm stuff and like keeping his name in the papers, like that is what made him president. And I mean, I'm kind of, you know, as we're recording this, we're a couple days out from election day. I'm kind of afraid of the same thing happening because for the past four years, all anyone's talked about is him, you know, as opposed to, platform you know and you know it's it's like even you know the platform seems to be well get him out yeah but you're still giving him the attention you know it's and that's how this works for sure like the the more the more attention the more hits you know the more you know that's that's where that's where eyeballs are right now so the algorithm pushes you up more people are tweeting about it more people have even the people are who are hating on him or you know think he's the worst scum of the earth you know still the tweets the seo it does it does mean more and more attention we'll, we will we'll see if that you know ultimately matters i guess when whenever whenever the ballots are finally counted from the mail-in ballot and stuff but um yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a major problem and you can give you can give the companies i guess some credit that there's been so much backlash that they've they've taken some steps but not i mean not nearly enough but yeah we'll, we'll see what happens you know I mean, I'm not confident that they're going to take enough steps, you know, because then it just wouldn't be profitable to them anymore. Yeah. They they have to keep the advertisers happy, you know, right? like something, uh, something, there just needs to be a major shift in in the whole, in the whole thing. And I don't really know what that is without the platforms entirely going away. But again, you have that catch 22 with us as creators in particular, if things entirely go away, then we're back in the stone age as far as how to get our messages out there. Right. So right. I, yeah, I don't have any answers. You know, I think the focus for me and for a lot of people I talk to is just, you know, just try to keep the conversation like moving towards something productive, moving towards some right. sort of coming together, but it's hard because you also have a lot of people who just feed right into it, you know, and who don't yeah. like, who don't take that mindset and just want to be right on social media on both sides of the coin, on any side of any coin. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's, it's such a it's a challenging thing to navigate for us all right now for sure it's it's very challenging you almost you must wonder if we are I, I hope this is not the case but if we're wonder if we're if we're uh, getting towards a civilization where everything is micro targeted everything has its niche um, you know in in some ways I mean that's it's good to have you know whatever it is you think or love or believe represented um, but you know are we gonna lose a space in theory, we once had where there was a, a comfortable middle, um, even if we're just talking politically, where we could do stuff. We did stuff. We built highways in this country. You know, we 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 did major legislation in this country. I don't think it's that we can't now, but um, everyone wants to score points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way the way social media is designed certainly is that um, it increases the point scoring incentive, um, so that you, you know you're incentivized, you're incentivized really more so to hunker down with your group, whatever it may be, ideological, political, religious, whatever. But, you know, whatever your group is, it is better really to hunker in with that group and score points with that group and sell things to that group and target to that group than it is to try to have a kind of, you know, per- perhaps more moderate, but also more broad 
um, appeal. Maybe that won't always be the case. Maybe it would take the right person or the right candidate to change that. Um, but you know, I don't. I, I even if, even if I'm voting for him, I don't really think Biden's going to be that person. So I, I guess I think we. I think maybe we hoped that Obama would be. And I think Obama did his best, and he's he was caught in the same shitty system that all these other politicians are caught in, you know? Yeah. I, I think I, I kind of have a tongue in cheek theory that's only half tongue in cheek. Cause I kind of believe that the one person who could bring this whole country together is the rock, the rock. The rock. Yeah. I think he could bring this whole thing. He's the most beloved man in the country and he's just a solid dude. He's authentic. He's yeah. the one person that could steer this ship. Right. And he has enough respect from any, anybody on all sides of the spectrum, maybe a little yeah. less now that he endorsed biden but you know which i don't blame him because i think you know he wants the dumpster fire to end he doesn't want to wake up and be depressed by the news anymore like most of us are right now yeah yeah you know i I I vote for the rock yeah i would absolutely i would be first in line first (laughs) i would cast my vote for the rock yeah I'd love to see. I'd love to see the smear ads that would come out about his time, of, you know, wrestling too, about all the attitude era stuff. <laughs> like, I just, I just want to see him with like a with a Putin or like a a, a a leader. Just do the eyebrow raise, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> just the eye to take the glasses off, do the eyebrow raise, put the glasses back on. That would be. I would be sold for that. So. Yeah. Who would who would mess with him too? I mean, the dude's jacked. Like, who who yeah. who would really step to him? You know, all the international readers yeah. would be like, "All right, oh, okay, okay, Mr. Johnson, you get what you want." <laughs> We've never have we ever had a buff president? Obama was probably the slimmest and the the healthiest. Yeah, in recent memory, but no, I don't think we've never had a weightlifting president. That's no. No, we, that's what we need. We need a buff president. A buff president, yeah. That would solve <laughs> everything. Just having a president be buff. That's, yeah. It's not a bad goal, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's something we should, we should really aspire to. So. <laughs> well, I want to pivot now to your musical journey, uh, which has taken you to a number of different places, both nationally, internationally. You've been a piano bar musician for a number of years. You've toured extensively, uh, open for any number of international acts as well. I've had a lot of success, a lot of exciting opportunities. And so I want to give you a chance to dive into some of those experiences and to talk about where they've led you in your career, some of the lessons that you've learned over the years and how those serve you now. I got into piano bar um, after I I'd graduated. Um, I went to school a little bit late and I went for music and I, I moved back to Arizona. I moved to Arizona where my, uh, my mom and sister were and um, meeting, I met somebody off Craigslist, uh, became a good friend. And um, I stumbled into a piano bar one night uh, near Arizona State University and I got an audition. I didn't do great at that one, but I got another audition at a different piano bar and I wasn't a very good piano player, but they hired me because I could play guitar and drums mm-hmm. and I could sing. Um, so they let me be in their band sets for a while and they kind of trained me some of the basics of it. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I got into, um, I got some other opportunities. I got to play in in the South. I got to play in Arkansas and Missouri. Um, Missouri is kind of the Midwest, but um, yeah, I played in the South for a little bit. I played, I moved back to Arizona. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I started doing, um, piano shows on the road. So with a a buddy I met, we hatched this idea to do like DIY piano shows and we weren't very good, but we were, we were, you know, kind of getting better, like pretty fast as far as uh, we played so many shows. So we took it to, um, we financed it on my dad's credit card. Thanks dad. Uh, and got a van 
shitty band van and we were the only ones that were doing it. I don't think we were really that good at it, but we were funny mm-hmm. and we were the only game. We were like the only Chinese takeout in town. So, um, you know, if you were a bar circa 2010, you, you, you could book a band or a guitar player or some variation, but then suddenly in Phoenix, there was dueling pianos and you could have them for super cheap because we didn't know any better. Um, so anyway, that's how it started. We played at Irish pubs and sports bars and event- eventually, I mean, we were able to like really like turn it into something. I opened for Casey and the Sunshine Band. Right, right. Uh, guys I played with played for Big Voodoo Dad, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, um, Journey. We've played at the side stage for Journey. Um, Miranda Lambert. We've played for some pretty big, um, with some pretty big artists. And um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're asking me like, how has that experience um, helped me for songwriting or for, yeah. for the most part, just getting better at piano and using the skills. So I learned, you know, I was, I, I started playing guitar. I was self-taught for the most part and my dad helped me. And, um, you know, I got a pretty good at guitar and then I went to school for music and I learned the basics of music theory. And I was doing a lot of vocal studies. Um, I got slowly better at it, but it wasn't until I started doing like piano shows that, you know, the piano is laid out we're really we're gonna, we're gonna bore your audience, but the piano is laid out, you know, like the staff, like the treble clef, the staff on a sheet of music paper. Uh-huh. Um, so, getting better at playing piano helped me write music better and put like the 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 ideas of music theory kind of into 3D. And then it wasn't right away, but like a couple years went by of playing, and when I started writing songs again, I was like, oh yeah, I could do this interesting thing with an A chord. I could modulate to a B chord, or I could take it to a C sharp minor chord. Um, like you, you learn slowly but surely how to um, put it all together, um, and your musical palette kind of expands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it probably helped as far as that goes. And uh, I haven't gone to play very much live this year, but um, a lot I've played maybe two or three thousand piano shows in the last ten years. I've averaged four per week for ten years. So. Uh, maybe maybe more sometimes with very little time off. So yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a cumulative um, experience of playing and performing and getting more and more comfortable with live audiences and learning how to improvise too. You take requests in piano bars. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you hear a song a couple times on the radio and somebody asks for it. And eventually, not right away, but eventually you get to the point where, oh yeah, I, I could hear that. Like it's a, it's a C chord and there's the G chord. Oh yeah, there's the F chord. You just kind of get used to improvising pop songs in top 40 because um, even the good ones are, you know, somewhat repetitive as far as like that stuff goes. And so you've kind of come full circle after all of this to, you know, to a place where you've come to create authentically through your songwriting. And, you know, it was a lot of time on the road, a lot of experience out there. And so what led you back to a place where you just wanted to focus on your songwriting and create something that was 100% your own. I was, so the, the genealogy of it goes like this. I was, uh, you know, I, I love my music. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing this and it gives me joy. And I have all these songs from when I was like age 13 to age, well into my twenties. Um, but especially like a core group of songs from maybe age 16 onwards. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that music. And so I tried over and over again. I was, I, it was like, at times the thing that just kept me going like that i love these songs i think they're i think they're good mm-hmm. they're fun to play and you know one day i'm gonna get into a band and we're gonna be like the next u2 or oasis i had these um delusions of i still have the same delusions of grandeur I just, they're on a smaller they're on a smaller scale now but um yeah i kept doing the same thing 
over and over again with the same songs uh, in bands and bands are hard. Uh, they don't, they don't tell you this. Um, I, I don't know. Are you, can I, are you a musician, Quinn? Or what's your, not, not I, actively. I've written okay. songs. I've, you know, I, I've always wanted to be in a band. Um, I haven't, I don't have anything recorded and out. I, you know, I've just been so focused on the content end over the years that like, it's one of those things where I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to, but first, <laughs> you know, right. but yeah, but it is hard, you know, to be in a band, especially as you get older, you know, and people start having like, yeah, priorities right yeah yeah exactly no one yeah when in you know in church or like in, like in church bands throughout high school i mean we could play pretty off we didn't play a lot of shows but we rehearsed constantly because you're in high school you don't have kids or responsibilities or whatever uh, after college i mean it's a little more hit or miss um but yeah i mean I, I tried over and over again. I was dealing with some health problems as well, which slowed me down, but um, I tried over and over again in bands and I moved to LA on a whim with a friend from Arizona. who's a dear friend of mine. And I kept doing the band thing and I have played with amazing, amazing LA touring musicians in these bands. And the, I don't think the music part was bad, but the everything else part was bad and dumb and stuck in the nineties and whatever. So I needed to, do something different and it dawned on me a couple of years ago playing a show actually with the, the last version of this band i was like something about this is just not mm -hmm. it's not quite right i keep doing the same thing and i knew i knew i needed to change and i was scared but um i guess the other half of it is that i i never stopped writing songs but uh, i was going through some health problems and once i started the piano thing doing my own thing with the pianos and touring and playing a ton of shows um, I lost some creative impulse. I got just into the touring thing. I could, I could go off a tangent about my, you know, girlfriends and whatever. I was, I was living life. I was, I was playing piano shows. I was making money. I was paying off outrageous amounts of student debt. And when I would try to approach songwriting, it would feel like, I don't know. It would feel weird. It would feel like, what's the point? I've already written these great songs. Like I just gotta, you know, get the six months. I just, I'm saving up for those six months where I can just, you know, make an album with the songs I've already written. I've already written all these great songs. So well, let's just do that. And that was dumb because life is in the now, you know, I love those songs, mm -hmm. but life is now music is now the, the creative impulse has to be now. And I don't know why it took me so long to, to relearn that, but um, when it dawned on me, it's felt right ever since. And I wanted to challenge myself too, to, uh, to write new songs. And I wrote a whole slew of new songs and I think they're good. <laughs> and I mean, of course the, the theme is that it is, you know, better late than never to fulfill yourself and to find yeah. that thing that really, you know, resonates with you and, and just speaks to your heart creatively. And that's what you've done here now with never late than better, the new album. And it's just, it's authentic, you know, and you just approach this whole journey that you've been on with just this candor, this sense of humor. And I just want to give you a chance to kind of dig deeper on the sense of fulfillment that comes with that, of being able to just tell your story honestly and kind of strip away all, all the excess and just really focus on telling that story and creating in that moment. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I, I was planning on doing it and then the coronavirus happened and it, it just pushed the schedule up a little bit because I was, I suddenly had so much time to really go ahead and, and do it. Um, but yeah, it was the first couple songs, you know, 
more like ideas of songs and and like a, a journal full of lyrics which were all discarded it took it definitely took a little bit of time to get the the gears working yeah i was i guess i was scared but i was i was excited too it just felt it felt like this is the right thing to do and i also decided that i was going to not just not just write new songs but was going to push it a little bit from my comfort zone of somewhat meat and potatoes, 90s, 2000s leaning rock and roll, mm -hmm. alt rock, whatever. Um, I was going to do some, put some synths in there, some piano. I was going to make it piano heavy strings. I was going to make it, I was going to make an album that is more something I would get into now. Um, mm -hmm. If there were bands doing, doing stuff like this, they're not as many as I'd like. Um, but yeah, and lyrically too, I, I wanted to push the envelope and I said, fuck it, I'm going to write about Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm going to write about, there's a couple of songs very specific about being a missionary, mm -hmm. um, selling, trying to sell people on the Bible, on Jesus, you know, it's some personal, some personal stuff. I've, it's not that I haven't tried the themes in the past, but this is, this was been more, this was more explicit. A handful of the songs too are about my best friend. She had a baby. Mm -hmm. It was a dire medical emergency. Um, you know, other, some of the other songs have the, some of the themes of the last few years of my life. So, but by and large, I mean, it's new music. And even though a lot of it's about religion, not all of it. I mean, it's about just how I, where I am, where I am now. And that's, that was the biggest change is to write something right here in COVID-19 land and just put it out there. Yeah. You know, I think about this time too, with, with COVID and it's just given ourselves, it's given all of us, I think a chance to just get comfortable with who we are, where we are. It's go, 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 go in this music world, right? Like you're, you're always thinking about the next show. You're always thinking about the next event, the next whatever out in the world. Right. Well, all that got shut down and a lot of us were kind of forced to just like go inward and be like, okay, well, what can I do? right now and just find this sense of creativity, this sense of peace, this sense of, I'm just going to do what feels right to me. Cause I'm all I've got right yeah. now kind of thing. And yeah. mm -hmm. it seems like, it seems like you're really writing from, you know, very just like confident state, like, you know, you're to where you've really arrived at this point in your life where it's just like, you're, you're comfortable putting th these things out there in such a refre refreshingly honest way and just creating Thank something. You on your terms and i think in the in the industry in general people are craving more of that right like i think everybody you know this kind of ties into influencer culture too everyone's kind of tired of the manufactured stuff you know people want something real people want something unique people want something that's not afraid to go there and not afraid to try new things and with this album man you've done that and I, you know, I've, I've been listening through it, you know, for the past couple of days, you know, getting ready awesome, for this. And I'm just much. like, man, like you, you nailed a lot of important stuff and you delivered it in a way that like only you can from your own personal experience. And I think that's really important. I, I, I love it when I see musicians strive for that to deliver something from their personal experience, but then you can kind of take it as a listener and be like, he's talking about something very specific, but like, this is where I kind of see that applying in my life. There's still that relatability. I think that's a mark of a really good songwriter and, you know, Thank you very much. I, I, that, mean, that means a lot to me. Actually, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, a lot of I broke down. I broke down a couple times writing a couple of these songs. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like unearthing some deep dark shit that I've, I've many many an expensive therapy session has already been been spent on. That was the other. That was the other half of it. Is that I think I I think I felt like, well, you know, I'm I'm good now. Like I'm I'm many years into a you know relatively you know good stable life after everything I went through. And um, I think also I, I let myself get complacent where, um, you know, you go something through something pretty big and it's not really like you, you shut it in a jar, put the lid on and then it's gone forever. It's like, it's still 
it's still in you. It's still there. Um, oh, so yeah, that was that was intentional too in, in writing the album that I, I wanted to I wanted to poke some of that with a stick and and try to get it. And also, I mean, I, fr- frankly, uh, I know this will be boring to your listeners, but I mean, I do I do see some parallels between uh, trends we have we're, we're dealing with now, especially with social media and religion. Um, I I think there are trends between religion and and you know a group of people believing the same thing you know, and coming together in a church, whether it's, you know, an extreme one or not, um, and saying that's it and closing the door, uh, there is an element of that to social media. It's very unfortunate. So some some of the album is about that too, is like my my take on it. I, I sort of put it all out there and I tried to keep it, I tried to give it a little bit of a, think of the songwriter, maybe like a Pete Wentz take with a few a few good puns in there and a couple of good, um, a little bit of a sense of humor on a couple of songs too. For sure. And I definitely see the correlation there, you know, between religion and social media, because I, th- I think a lot of people too, just feel like they have to pick a side, you know, like a lot of people yeah. growing up, like, well, I have to go to church because my family wants me to, or I have right. to believe this even if I kind of don't in my gut because I'm supposed to. Right. Right. I think it's the same thing where like people are forced to be, largely red team or blue team on social media to appeal to the people in their circle. And while I, I'm certainly, you know, all for people believing and expressing themselves however they want, I feel like social media is not conducive to that, you know, like these days, like if you were to come at things kind of stoically or in the middle, you're going to get attacked from both sides now, you know, and you're going to be kind of cast aside, kind of like, kind of like atheists are from the church a lot of the time. Right. Right. Oh, well, you don't believe this. Well, you're inherently evil. See you in hell, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's, it's, there are those kind of scary parallels where there's just this like group think that is emerging from these platforms it's yeah. it's almost like religion but in a different way like in in an evolved form in terms of the way it's kind of controlling yeah. the way you behave yeah no it's it's bad it's my, my answer to all that is it's it's bad it's, it's unsustainable um I, I don't know i the the, the, issue, the issue right now is that not a lot of people it, it's known about but we have to find a way to get this information into the hands of people who could make a difference, even at the tech companies. And I don't, I just heard Jerome Lanier, who was on the social dilemma, you know, say like, I I don't, you know, the people working at Google, these are, these are not like evil people. These are people who, some of the products, I mean, have changed the world and have done amazing things. Don't get me wrong. Right. Right. Um, But just like the, the harmful aspects of social media, the addictive aspects, especially Mm -hmm. if we think about children, Mm -hmm. younger children, um, you know, all day long on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, uh, it makes me sound old to be saying this, but I mean, it is, con- it is concerning. Like, I don't know. I, and the, the, I, I feel like I'm rambling. The, the, the question I have is, you know, I've tried, I try to think back to when I was a kid and then a young adult and, you know, we had the internet, but we didn't have like, you know, Instagram or whatever. Right. You know, was it, it, it I don't think it was that it was that different. I think social media is amplifying some of the stuff that's just part of the human, you know, how we evolved, like, you know, my tribe versus your tribe. It's not that, it didn't create that shit, but it's, it is, it's pushing it and they make more money when Mm -hmm. that stuff is happening. You know, the bad news, unfortunately, you know, the disaster on the news is sexier and more interesting than the positive story oftentimes, unfortunately. So that's how, that's also how social media works too. Yeah. And it's putting everyone's tribalism out there in greater, in greater force to everyone's greater knowledge for better or worse. Yeah. And I think like you think about it, 
it's it's still very new like in human history when you you take the whole of human history it's all new yeah we've only had the last 10 15 years and our brains are not evolved enough to know how to do that yet i think we're starting to turn the corner on that and starting to make these tools a little starting to manage them in our own minds but also starting like i think a lot of people are starting to think of ways of like how could this be better but that needs to work its way up the chain at these companies you know and it needs to be a conversation that's had with the people in control of these tools that that's that's where it's going to take a long time and it's going to take a lot of reform and pushback i think from the general public boycotts what have you i think that's a small step like a starbucks pulling their ads kim kardashian pulling her stuff but that's that alone isn't going to do it it's going to have to come from a down a great downward trend from the general public using it for them to change their tune yeah and then even after that and after everything's you know fixed quote unquote we got to make sure it doesn't happen again (laughs) you know thing i mean intentional or not things just tend to you know spot evolve in certain ways and sometimes that evolution's a spiral into something maybe it was never intended to be oh, yeah, i think right. there's a lot of value to the tools i mean obviously you know i mean i'm sitting here over zoom talking to you right now and of course know, kind of yeah, yeah. out on all the socials yeah you know, flaming hypocrites we are <laughs> but, <laughs> but like but there like there needs to be more of that and less of the vitriol less of the yeah. division you know and that i think I think that starts at the individual level and like, you know, for all of us to think critically about like, what are we putting out? If we're on these things, what are we putting out there? Are we only adding to the mess, you know, right right or wrong, you know, whether, whether we're on the right side of the argument or the wrong side, morally, ethically, like, or is the way we're presenting it, the problem is the way we're presenting it only creating more divide. Right. And what, and where, why don't we have, I have a, I have a, I don't want to, I don't, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I mean, one is that, you know, if you have something, if you're in a small group, let's say you're, you're just in person, mm-hmm. a small group of people, whatever, your friends, family, you know, you have something vitriolic to say, maybe you shouldn't say it, but, but either way you say it to them, mm-hmm. you know, on social media, why don't we have an invention where, you know, if you're a flaming racist, you know, you're, it's your right to be that person, but you, you there should be a sense in your mind that you would express those opinions perhaps to a small circle of similar flaming racists. Um, like rather than I on Twitter for argument's sake, like you just respond to anybody. You just throw mm-hmm. out the, the, the most hateful thing. You can just, just say to anybody. You're a complete stranger. Uh, yeah, yeah. Complete stranger. Yeah. The other, and the other problem with it, I've come to see it as probably a sign of getting older. Uh, I've come to see a lot of things in life as, as uh, um, relatable to sports, like football and baseball. I mean, like, like a, you know, we moved to Pennsylvania. I've, I've been to a lot of Eagles games, you know, at Eagles games, it's people are often behaving badly, yeah. but at most, in most normal places and cities, like, you know, you go to a game, whatever, it could be tennis, people are behaving. Most people are behaving themselves. Some people are being jerk offs or knuckleheads. Right. We need to make it so that that is, that's abnormal to be a total jerk on, on the internet, unless it's to your private group or your private friends and family. Obviously you can freedom of speech. You can say what you want. Right. Um, but it's the, it's the blasting out tendency. Like if you're at a ball game, you, if you're a normal person, you wouldn't say the most hateful, horrible thing you can think of because you are aware you're at a ball game. You're, there are kids around. Like uh-huh. that's, a, that's another thing totally rambling with like, even on like on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, like they, these companies don't in reality, they don't police who's on the platforms. So, I mean, when that, you know, that, you know, idiot who's infuriating you on Twitter, that might be a 13 year old kid. Right. You have, you have no idea who it is you're 
arguing with, there's really no incentive for them to make it less anonymous. And I, I there's there are there are pros and cons to each, but I mean it's basically you have a fake username, you don't have to have a picture of who you are, you don't have to have any context for who you are. You and and in fact, that's part of the problem is the proliferation of bots. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't always know with a hundred percent certainty if the person the person who's you know sending some like weird political hateful thing your way because you commented on XYZ is a person you don't even always know that so this is this is probably going to be boring to people because there's like there's no there's no real answer yet there's we are we're, we are identifying right now i think the problems and we're hoping that uh, solutions will will emerge you know right 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 you know i think i think it's a very interesting conversation because i think it's one that more and more people are becoming privy to yeah you know i think relatives of mine who i wouldn't expect to really dive too much into the topic and who you know just you know right. post the memes and go about their day like they're starting to get concerned you know and they don't necessarily yeah. have these conversations all the time but it's like yeah this is getting weird like just yeah. how how combative it all is. You scroll past an article, uh, you know, of LeBron winning a championship and like, of course, Something totally com- benign and, yeah. and fine and nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. And the comment that's displayed through the algorithms is the one with the most reactions, which is usually the one that says the most hateful thing possible. Right. Yeah. right. Very rarely, or more often than not, it's something negative. Rare, more rare is that it's something positive about whatever the story is. Right, and it could right. be something like, I'm a Cubs fan. It could be something like Anthony Rizzo gets extended. Oh, we need to sell the team. Like, yeah. <laughs> like did, do you remember 2016 when we won the World Series with all these guys? Yeah. You're a little more grateful, but that, that's just me as a Cubs fan. But like, it's just like, you scroll past these things and you see the most vitriolic thing and you're, you're almost like baited into responding to it. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it elicits that emotional reaction. And we have to train our brains to not do that. We have to train our brains to just like, okay, this is a stranger on the internet. We just need to chill. I do want to ask you where in Pennsylvania, because I lived there for a while as well. Really? Yeah. I lived in Bethlehem. Oh, nice. I, my, my dad worked in Allentown for years actually. Um, So uh, yeah, I we lived in East Greenville, which is near Quakertown, Pennsylvania, which is where my my dad even still lives to this day. Wow! Um, so yeah, close to close to Allentown. Small world, small world. Yeah, man. I drive. How- on, yeah, I drive on three hundred nine to three hundred nine. Yeah, when I lived there. Seven- 78 and 309 yep. that's what it's all about yeah all world yeah I, before yeah. i forgot i just wanted to go there not to not to break yeah. off from the, the the riveting discussion we're having wesley david joining us here on the quinn spin and now that we've you know talked about all the inherent problems with today's social media i want to give people a chance <laughs> to find out where they can find you online and learn more about you and by the way i do want to give a no. website no. because i love yeah so if you haven't been to the website yet it is just like this 90s geocities layout with like all these bright colors that just contrast right. with each other violently <laughs> and like but like all that like all the tongue-in-cheek references to all the things we've talked about you know within like you, you kind of have to look at it a minute and like kind of get the subtext and everything but it's really brilliantly done your website thank you <laughs> yeah i i loved it when when that was sent over to me like oh i gotta talk to this guy this is this <laughs> so anyway i'll from there i'll let people i'll let you tell people where they can learn more about you. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, that was designed by a, I'll give a shout out to a talented uh, designer in Sri Lanka named Manaj Fernando, who I uh, came across on Fiverr. Fiverr.com is a really good uh, resource for musicians and creators. 
and a couple other artists I've worked with off Fiverr also. Um, yeah, they can find me. They can find me on Instagram. It's Wesley David Music on Instagram. Uh, the same thing on YouTube and Twitter is real Wesley David because I couldn't. I, I actually thought about fake Wesley David would be funnier, but then I thought people would like think that it's fake. So right, right. So real Wesley David on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I um uh funny enough i actually seriously thought about it's not it's not that i hate social media believe me uh, there's there's good stuff there there's 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 just as a as a communication tool and a way to share like you know memes and cat pictures and baby pictures it's fantastic I and mean, that you can't argue with you know instantaneously sending a cat meme is is great yeah yeah so there's, there's no there's nothing wrong with that but um you know the, it's it's the problematic shit that we're talking about yeah i, I actually thought about if I could take two seconds to relate this to um, yeah. bands and 90s bands and some of how I feel about music and rock and roll. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I have a sense, just a thought, a thought experiment that a lot of bands, even like the Riot Girl bands, the third wave feminist bands, mm-hmm. Bikini Kill, Courtney Love, Hole. It's tough to see in the 90s. It's tough to see like some of these kind of subversive rock bands being on TikTok or being on Instagram and putting out that heart emoji there's yeah. just something of, i and I, I i'm not i use emojis so i'm a hypocrite but mm-hmm. i i i feel like I'm, I'm i'm i question if that would have would have been the case so i actually i flirted with the idea of skipping social media i realized quickly it'd be suicide but just doing youtube mm-hmm. getting music out on on like spotify or app music and doing no social media no social media promotion and just playing live and you know just selling cds and records and hoping that if something ever caught on that, you know, there would be like, it would be this cool thing that stood out because it wasn't available on the internet or like every, you know, every impersonation of me would be fake. So I didn't go down that road. COVID influenced me not to go down that road. Right. Um, But I wonder if a a more adventurous artist than me or maybe a hip hop artist or somebody in the future, somebody like smarter than me about this would take that idea. Their music would be, the music would be available online Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, um, and, and, may, and maybe videos on YouTube, but then that's it. Mm-hmm. And if any other interaction would have to be in person, I think that would put an incredible incentive. If the artist got out there, an amazing incentive to go to the shows and maybe meet the artist or like just it'd be all about like the in-person thing rather than social media thing. I don't. It, it's not that the social media thing is is bad. Uh, there are artists who do it a lot better than me. Um, but I don't know. I, I experiment. I thought about that as an interesting thing. I wonder if there'll ever be an artist a more adventurous artist than me who would do that and be able to pull it off. It, it would add, I think, a lot of mystique back, you know, because back in yeah. the day, even back in the 90s, like you didn't know every single detail. You know, yeah. even back in like the 2000s before MySpace, you didn't know every single detail. You knew what was put out there, when it was put out, whether it was an interview on MTV or VH1 back when right. they or, you know, just the content itself, the music, the music videos. It would add to the mystique, like, could you imagine David Bowie, you know, in this modern age, like on social media, like being right. David Bowie? No, there was this, this mystique and this essence about him. There was a mystique about it. Right. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, even as I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing some platforms, not all. And I, like every other musician, I mean, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm also trying to fig- figure out if there is a way to do it 
a little bit contrarian. I don't know yet. I'm, I'm like ex- exploring that that possibility. But um, yeah, I mean, there there was a mystique. I mean, I think about 80s political hip hop. I think about there was a mystique to some of these rappers. There was there was. And now I don't know if this is good or bad, but I mean, now it's like you're you, the advice is you're encouraged to like post every day and be like, hey, look at me. I'm so amazing. Check me out. Like, I'm incredible. Like you're 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 urged to self-promote because the algorithm and I'm a hypocrite. I'm doing it too. But um, I that I guess there's no point in me saying this, but I mean, I do I do think there was more of a mystery and we could probably just put it in the category of things that we've we've moved on from. But yeah, there definitely was a little more of like a rock and roll, you know, a mystique. Like it was like amazing as a kid. We're not we're not going back to this world, but it was unbelievable when like one of my favorite bands when like tom york was being interviewed i just caught it on mtv like oh my god it's tom york uh-huh. and there was there was no other way like mm-hmm. well you 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 would read about him in like rolling stone but there was no other access to that like if it just it just came on or it didn't right you know? right or you hear yeah. a song on the radio and you catch it yeah. at the right time and you have the right. cassette tape and you hit record i've been waiting a week for this like right right you know, <laughs> listening 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 for that song you heard the one time and then like <laughs> and sometimes like i don't even remember the songs but like sometimes i'd hear a song and then like never hear it again on the radio and be like yeah what was that song and like still to this day there are some mysteries <laughs> out there that i don't remember but yeah. i really liked the one time i heard them in 1997 yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah there, it was it, i think it made things it made things feel more special to not have as much access you know to not have things yeah i mean the the plus side is we can listen to whatever we want whenever we want and i love that you know because like with the state of fm radio which is a whole nother podcast like i can't do it anymore unless like there's the one station here in nashville lightning 100 that does a great job mixing it up and playing a whole lot of local music and just like stuff you don't expect to hear on fm radio anymore right like the corporate owned ones like they're they're boring they're really boring yeah Yeah. it's like hey here's these two songs you've heard a million times before and then 15 commercials and then two different songs by those same bands you know like i love the on-demand nature for the fact that i can listen to whatever i want i can listen to whatever deep cut i want but (laughs) there's something about it not feeling as special to like you know you can hear it anytime you want so you know it's not as unique an experience and in the moment experience hearing that song you've been waiting all week to hear right right there's 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 an upside maybe maybe that's why we're um, since the mid 2000s, you know, like there's been the surge in like vinyl and and even cassette sales for bands. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're still craving that um, some some idea of authenticity, but some idea of like d- discovering something and like you know the the artifact being rare, holding it in your hand. Yeah, and I mean, right, right. who's to say like things don't come back around? You know what I mean? I think yeah. you even use social media to help you build that mystique. You know, I think right. everyone feels kind of pressured into giving so many cuts into their daily lives that you don't see right. it happen too much. But I, I've seen other, I've seen artists like creating mystique around themselves as a brand, you know, there I go using what's hmm. a dirty word for some people, but like the fact right. is like how you manage it, it all, it is all branding now, It is, but you can still create your own persona around that. You don't need to right. give away the whole farm if you don't want to, you can, focus people on the artistry on the content you're creating and on what you want people to know about you and take away from it and i I see some some independent artists here in town doing that really well and it's admirable because they're going against the grain where everyone else is you know on tiktok dancing all over the place not that i'm knocking (laughs) it like you know like 
other people are just kind of hanging back and just kind of letting their persona they've created through their art speak right. for itself. One one that I really admire in town, who's been on the show before, Talia Stewart. She's an artist here in town. Like she's a force. Like she's got it all together. Um, we're, we might be doing something together pretty soon too. There's just this mystique. There's this aura about her as an artist, you know, and just mm. how she like like the color red keeps showing up. Like she pretty much owns the color red, you know, on the oh. dark pop scene here in Nashville, and just like. There's just some X factor there, but like, I feel like I know, you know, I know that, but like, she doesn't give it all away. You know what I mean? Like, there's still a yeah. lot of history there. There's a lot of intrigue that makes you want to learn more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check her out because yeah, what, what we're talking, there's like a hole in my brain where I, you know, I'm, I'm, I am, am, I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling is right now because of, of COVID-19, but I mean, I'm, it's the kind of thing that I am hopeful about doing. I'd like, I'd like to try to find a way to bring some of what was special to me about, you know, even nineties bands, you know, perhaps some of the more avant-garde 90s bands, but what was interesting and kind of like cool and mysterious about that into what we're doing now, even, even with some social media. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've, I don't think I figured that out yet, but it's definitely something I'm, I'm interested in. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, that was a special era of music too, where people individuality, I think was more encouraged too, you know, like you had yeah. like our lady peace is my favorite band ever. Like I love, really? I love them to death. And in the 90s, like when they first came out, like in the 90s, those first few albums, they were weird. And they like, yeah. well, that weirdness, like Rain's Falsetto is all over the place. The Spiritual Machines album is like, it's a great rock album, but it's just so odd because it's this rock concept album about the age of Spiritual Machines by Ray Kurzweil, which they're actually yeah. doing a sequel to. They're going to be releasing like either late this year or early next. The Age of Spiritual Machines is this book where Ray Kurzweil, he's like a futurist. He made a bunch of predictions yeah. about where we'd be right mm -hmm. now. Like an astonishing number of his predictions about AI and technology in general have come through true. I think it's something like 80 something percent. And so wow. Spiritual Machines 1 kind of like took us, you know, was based on the theme of that book. Now Spiritual Machines 2 is gonna catch us up like, hey, where are we 20 years later in comparison to where we were when we released this first album? But the bands do have this like, from, from that era, do have this avant-garde kind of individuality and weirdness to them. You know, it's not all just like, hey, you're expected to be this and you know, you need to do this. Yeah. Like it wasn't such a game of necessarily gaining followers. It was a game of expression and how do you do that authentically and individually? Exactly. Like, there's definitely still room for that. And I, like, I feel like I the so folks too. who endure, they have that. Like the people who are fully themselves, no matter what they put out, like they're the ones who last 10, 15, 20 years in the mainstream eye, right? They're not the flash in the pan, but right. I feel like that idea for a lot of people gets lost because of the pressure of continuing to have to create, even if it breaks down that wall and breaks down that mystique. Yeah, that is, that is very well said. Yeah. Yeah. I even think about some of the, uh, I am starting to um, do some stuff on Twitch, not I am, I'm in the very, very early stages, but even watching some of their advice videos. Yeah. I mean, there are some people who are like, yeah, just start streaming, like stream yourself, like brushing your teeth, like stream yourself, like walking your dog, like just stream all day long. Cause the algorithm, blah, 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 blah. Why is, is there not, is there nothing weird about this? <laughs> maybe, maybe, listen, maybe, maybe this is not getting older. I don't know. Maybe 15 year old kids are like, yeah, I want to watch you walk. Your, I don't want to live my life. I want to just watch you walk your, I just want to watch you live your life. But mm -hmm. there's something so jarring about that to me. I just, I almost, I almost feel like it's unethical. 
that's that's me. It, so. it, it's very strange. Like I can't imagine just like a teeth brushing video or just like here's like no, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, they have everything everything is a thing on on the internet. But like muck mukbang videos. Have you heard of this? Uh, no. Uh, it's a it's a oh it's a thing. People people eating like gourmet meals or like crab legs, and it'll be like an hour of just like eating on YouTube, and it gets like. There are videos with like millions of views of just people like eating fish and chips. Like that's it. They just eat, and people like watching this. Why? I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe I'm getting old too. I mean, you know, I got really seen that well, but there are some grays in here. So Whatever, you know. I mean, I don't know. my mom used to say, "There's always a point where you just get too old to understand this world." <laughs> Jeez, myself, get a little closer to that. It's yeah. Odd, but. she's she's probably right i mean the, the, i guess the one thing if, if i i am also though like kind of a believer that if something if you're not if you're it's it is the libertarian idea that if you're not harming somebody else and or an animal and you're getting you know something is meaningful to you or enjoyable to you then then that's okay too so that's fine if if but you know i i it's like uh it's the point where um i think i think maybe it's the point where artists musicians creators should be intentional about what, not just the thing you make, but then the promotion, where is it going? How are you doing it? You know, the urge to just put it out everywhere all the time and just blanket the world. Maybe, maybe there should be some pushback to that concept that, you know, you make a thing. It's not just that you are encouraged to target an audience, but maybe you should target which platforms for that audience and how to do it. Also, there should be, there should be a, um, an intention there not just a, and everything at once approach, perhaps. Finding your finding your audience, finding finding yeah. the people that are gonna vibe with what you're putting out. I find right. a lot of people when they're starting out, and I say this from experience, wanna be everything to everybody. You know, right. it's like, oh, well, this is for everyone. Not everyone's gonna pick up what, what you're putting down. You know what of I mean? Of course, of course, yeah. But you find the people that are like mine and you find the people that enjoy the message, that enjoy you and what you're putting out and what you're about and you double, triple down right. on those. Like I said, a lot of people in the beginning just like, oh, well, I'm just going to put it out and it's going to blow up and get huge and numbers, 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 numbers. Right. You, you can have all the numbers in the world, but if you're not getting the engagement, if you're not getting right. people coming back and forth and really like digging right. into the content and following it and, yeah. you know, becoming interested in what you are about as an artist. And of course, in this transparent day and age as a human being, then sure. what are the numbers doing for you? You know, right. I'd rather have a thousand you know, that you know, right. that are engaged than a million and none of them actually care right. and they all came from a click farm somewhere. There, there's something to be said for that. Just fi being yourself, putting out your message, putting out who you are, and that's going to attract, you know, what it what it's meant to attract. You know, it's not about trying to be all things to all people because when you try to do that, people see right through it, you know, and it right. doesn't, if, if you do catch lightning in a bottle that way, it doesn't last, you know, whereas if you're yourself and you're putting that out there and again, it's not hurting anybody and it's helping some people, the people who yeah. are going to come back to you. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, um, I think that's the lesson I have been learning this year and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn too. I was coming from like the piano bar world. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you, you know, even if you say something, you know, border, borderline off offensive, or you may like a, a stand up comedy kind of joke or whatever, but for the, for the, you know, for the most part, you're still trying to entertain everybody in the room, make everybody happy, make sure everybody's song is played. So I am 
trying to retrain myself a little bit that that's not really always the case with original. In fact, it's not the case with original music. You know, you are, you're doing your thing. Um, I'm doing a kind of thing that's like a mishmash between Oasis and Radiohead and synth 2000s bands or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that'll be people who like it will like it. And it's not, not going to, you know, the average 12 year old kid, perhaps on TikTok probably won't like it. And that's okay. That's fine. They'll like something else. Right, right, right. I hear a little Ben Folds in there too, by the way, for the record. Oh, thank you. Just like the rawness, the honesty of it, you know, just the, the, there's something about the songwriting that really lends itself to Ben Folds and that kind of like honest, like raw piano driven type of pop. I, lo- I love Ben Folds. Yeah, I think Ben Folds, really, really honest songwriter. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Brick Brick is one of my favorite songs. It, even to play at piano shows is one of my favorite, favorite 90s songs. Just so raw and, and, and beautiful. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he lives not far from here. Actually, I found out recently. Really? Yeah, he lives in not. I don't know if he's in Nashville proper, but he's like within a half hour. So every a lot of people, Justin Timberlake, like so so many people live around really? here that I've never seen in person. But you know, nonetheless, it's kind of cool. <laughs> to know. I I have two I have two questions for for you, if I may. One, what sure. what brought you to? I didn't I didn't see it on on UMC, but what brought you to Nashville? And then why are you a Cubs fan and not a Mets or Yankees fan? And I want a good answer on that one. Oh, I have a great answer on that one. But first, okay. the easy one, Nashville. Um, yeah, I was in I was in Bethlehem uh, for a few years. Uh, we were Underground Music Collective was Lehigh Valley Underground before before it was this. The Quinn started. Yeah, Lehigh Valley Underground. I know you. I know Lehigh Valley Underground. Are you kidding? <laughs> awesome. Oh my god! Yeah, I've I've heard that name so many times. That's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that was me. Uh, so. Wow. So just a little timeline. The Quinn Spin started in 2013 because I was just bored with corporate America and needed an outlet. And then I ended up having my contract at the job expire. And I focused on this while I cobbled together a bunch of odd jobs. I went to Moravian. I graduated 2010. At this point, I'm living in New Jersey. It's 2014. I get a job out in Bethlehem, moved there 2015. 2016, I launched Lehigh Valley Underground. So 2016, 2017, the Quinn Spin's still part of it. Like, because I'm like, the whole idea was I want to create more content around the podcast. There's a little music scene here cool yeah you know i can go out and take photos and meet people and review stuff and yeah. so by the end of 2016 i knew i wanted to do this full time but there was a lot of life stuff i mean well my mom had passed right before i launched lvu in september of 15 and that was kind of like after a couple months of just like coming out of the fog of that i'm like i need an outlet or i'm gonna go out of course my- so the blog yeah. was born out of that i had the idea beforehand and then just kind of took a couple months to get my bearings you know right um, cause she passed suddenly. And then by the end of 2016, I'm like, I like this. I want to do this full time. And then I, in 2017, like the wheels fell off in my life, like a seven year relationship ended. There's a whole lot of family stuff going on. Uh, I quit my job on a whim because I hated it. And I just needed to, I was pretty much like standing around with a can of gas and a book of matches, uh, proverbially, uh, rather, you know, wondering what else I put down. And I'm just like, I'm just going to focus on this, get contract work and da, 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 da. And he stayed afloat nice. for a while, you know, but by mid 2018, I'm like, I've done all I can do here. And also like, I'm not going to be able to build what I want to build and live the life I want to live here because there's a scene but as is the case with most places in the country and is the same case with the lehigh valley there's not really an industry there's arts quest and i love arts quest to death i worked security there for years i love those people to death and they're near and dear to my i still have my arts quest lanyard that my keys are on here years after you know i've been here for two years and i still have that lanyard but like cool i um 
I'm just like, I need to go somewhere. You know, I just, and then, you know, there was just some other wake up calls that I had throughout the summer of 18. And my friends uh, had actually lived here for about a year. They got married earlier that summer. I was in the wedding in Charleston, South Carolina. And that wedding kind of woke me up like, okay, who do I want to be? You know, what kind of life do I want to live? Like, what, what experiences do I want to have? So they were up in Jersey, you know, visiting family because, you know, me and my friend Adam are from there, who's actually, whose song, whose band actually closes the show every week. So you're about oh, to hear cool. that in a few minutes. Nice. But, um, and then two days later, like they started trying to get me to move here. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. They're like, we're buying a house. We need a roommate. I'm like, well, I need a fresh start. And I started applying to jobs, started getting calls back that day. Nice. And I'm just like, well, this is the move then, you know? And so long story short, I ended up here. Um, I'd moved here with like less than a thousand dollars in my pocket and just a security job at the Opry and a lift sticker on my car, <laughs> you know, but nice, man. I've also, also a former, former Lyft and Uber driver myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. great in a pinch, you know? I mean, you know, yeah. When you're moving halfway across the country and you need to, you know, just kind of stay afloat for a couple of months while you figure it out, it's great. I mean, it definitely it's very, helped. very, very rock and roll story you got. In fact, I've I've never been to Nashville. I've I was I was in Chattanooga for a few days for a wedding years ago, and I I'm, I'm annoyed that I didn't just go to Nashville and spend some time there. But it's a great I mean, city. It's a great city. I mean, I mean, Broadway is the touristy part, but like right. I love. Every, I mean, not that I hate Broadway, but I love everything off of Broadway because that's where you get the true essence of everything. You know, right. East Nash, I live in East Nashville and like that's like where the locals hang out. And that's where you're going right. to like in non-Rona times, that's where you're going to find like right. <laughs> a lot of the indie rock, like a lot of the like real like raw stuff. So your second question, how did I become a Cubs fan? So I was yeah. four years old. Uh, it was August of 1991 and the Cubs were playing the Mets. My brother's a Mets fan and I don't want to root for the Mets, but we always watch the Mets game. And then my, my mom goes and keep in mind, I'm four at the time. Oh, look, they're Cubs. They're like teddy bears. I am sold. This is my squad. And so <laughs> ever since then, through Sosa, through Bartman, through years and years of losing. And then 2016, I actually got to go to game four um, of the World Series. My aunt. Really? Yeah. Uh, so my mom was always going to send me if we ever got to the World Series. Like we talked about it in 08 when it, we were like, uh, we won 100 games and then we got swept right out by the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we talked about it, but then she passed uh, in 2015 and then 2016 comes and like, I, I know it's our year. Like I knew it from the jump, like from the opening bell, we were just killing everybody. And I... I remember the the night we clinched against the Dodgers to go to the World Series. Like I had to actually drive down to South. Uh, can Florida. I can I tell you something? Yeah. I w if it's the game I'm thinking of, I was at that game with my girlfriend at the time. It was is the one in L.A. Oh, uh, no. game six in Wrigley at Wrigley. Oh, in the playoffs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah, never yeah. Mind. yeah. I saw I saw Dodgers Cubs. We we saw Dodgers Cubs that year. We had great seats. It, I, don't, I don't know if this game will jump out to you, but it was four four. It was four three, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Bryant his solo home run off Kenley Jansen. Uh huh. Went to extra innings, and then the Cubs won five four. We were devastated. And it was fire. It was like Beatles night, fireworks night. But I saw the Cubs that year. Oh yeah. And then, and then they beat. And it was, is that the Mets series? Oh no, I'm thinking of the Mets uh, Royals. Yeah, we, we got swept by the Mets in 2015, which my brother and I oh, went yeah. to game two in Arietta get shelled and it just wasn't a good night for me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so my my aunt and I, like after the clinch, like, of course, I'm we get to a sports bar 
because we had to drive for two hours, me and my girlfriend at the time, to go to her nephew's christening the next day. And like bottom of the eighth, we're getting off the highway. Like Hendrix was mowing them down. And I'm like, we need to get somewhere right now where I can watch the end of this. And like, of course, I'm all decked out in Cubs everything. As soon as we clinch, people were buying me drinks, you, you know, and then nice. I go... Uh, we get back to the house and she drove back to the house <laughs> and I, I, um, I go on Facebook. It's like one in the morning on the East coast and I'm scrolling through like all the, you know, the Cubs posted like the final out video and whatever. And I, I see everyone's comments of how their 90 year old, whatever, never got to see this day. I'm like, Oh, I need to go to Chicago next week. So I drunkenly <laughs> post that on Facebook. Like I need to make sure I'm at Wrigley. And then my aunt sees this and then over the course of the weekend, I'm thinking, how would, how am I going to afford this trip? Like, I'm not going to the game. That's ridiculous. It was like two thousand bucks. And then by Monday, I told my sister, I'm just going to go so I can hang out in Wrigleyville. I don't need to go to the game. And then she calls me, or she tells me, call me. I have an idea. And she, my aunt, and my dad have been talking all day about how to get me there. So they're like, okay, you get yourself out there and we'll buy a ticket for one of the rooftops. And the rooftops were half the price of getting in the stadium, but also all your food and beverage was included. So awesome. It was, I mean, the only bad part of that trip was we got destroyed that night by the Indians, like seven to two, but then we won the series. I, uh, you know, I was part of history. (laughs) That's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Madden, man. I knew I had a feeling when they hired him, he was going to do good things. Yeah. Yeah. When him and Lester came in, I'm like, it's only a matter. Like we're actually serious about winning. Yeah. It was only a matter of time. So yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a long suffering Mets fan. So I'm jealous. Although my, my, the Dodgers are my adopted team because they were my grandfather's. He was actually in New York. Now we're really boring your audience. We were, he was a New York giants fan, the baseball team, which became the San Francisco giants. And then he was a Dodgers fan. And then eventually a, a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they're from, they're from New York. Right. Um, right, grandparents. right. Yeah. yeah. I have a special place for the Mets. They're probably my number two in the NL, but you know, I close enough. You know, I, I want I want to see them get one. I really do. I know I know a lot of Mets fans, and yeah, not had it easy <laughs> at all. It's been a lot of close close calls. Yeah. Um, well, with new ownership, hopefully that kind of turns a corner. It did for us. Yeah. You know, when the Ricketts came in, like that's when we got Theo. Like it, it turned around. So hopefully that goes similarly for the Mets. Yeah. I mean, let's let's root for let's just root for sports and concerts and things that are live with other humans to be in, in full force again next year hopefully hopefully we get, yeah. we get lucky yeah. yeah well we will we will continue to root for that hopefully we get this whole covid situation under control That'd but in the meantime nice. yeah yeah i mean we we never know you know it's just you know it's out of our control we can control we can control you know so it's one of those things where we just have to grin and bear it and make do Start. We'll start with um, surviving the next few weeks of <laughs> ballot counting on CNN, and mm-hmm. then we'll hopefully go from there. Hopefully, there will still be an Earth left after that. <laughs> uh, that, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wes, it was a pleasure yeah. to have you on the show. Here we are coming up on time, but um, thank you for coming on. Anything else you want to tell the nice people before I do our little uh, sign-off thingy? Thank you for having me. And if you're bored, go back and listen to some music that was made in the 60s or 70s and vote if you can or mail it in or at least tweet that you voted or something. Do something. 
do, do something. something. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Wesley David on the Quinn Spin. Two ends in Quinn, two ends in Spin. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, and more. Also on the socials, Instagram uh, at Quinn Spin Official, Facebook, and Twitter as well. And you can find us at Underground Music Collective as well. That's our central hub, undergroundmusiccollective.com. And you can find that on all the socials as well. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and of course the UMC20 Spotify playlist, which we update fresh every single Tuesday. And the Mad Sugars We Want the Night is our closing theme song. You're going to hear that on the way out. I'll let it do its job, and I will see you next time. Hey, now. Hey, now.